0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I get to sit down with Johnny Owen. That's Johnny Owen, the filmmaker, Johnny Owen, the radio presenter, and that's Johnny Owen, the music aficionado and really nice guy. Um, We had a really nice chat over Zoom um, during lockdown, and I think you're going to really enjoy this. Um, Johnny and I aren't too far apart in age, so there's lots of sort of parallels um, which makes for a a really good chat. Um, Before we get on with that chat, just quickly, um, big thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, Thanks loads to 76 for producing this podcast to make sure that even in these times where we're having to record remotely, um, he's a great producer and can give you a really nice sounding podcast. Um, and if you enjoyed this and it's your first time listening to, uh, off the beaten track, then go and have a look in the archives because there's over 150 episodes with some of your favorite musicians, actors, DJs, producers, comedians, go, go and have a rummage and you'll find something that you like. Um, And if you want even more, then I do also put standalone episodes and videos and stuff up each week over on Patreon so you can support the podcast um, by um, getting involved over there. Um, You can find out about all of this at um, offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Anyway, let's get on with um, the episode. That's why you're here. Please enjoy Off The Beat Track Podcast with the wonderful Johnny Owen. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fair Wear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk. Official sponsors of Off the Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off the Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Okay, right, we are recording and sitting opposite me via the means of Zoom is Johnny Owen. Hello. How are you doing? You all right? I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Um... Before we get on with a playlist, I'm just going to um, ask you, as this uh, an inevitable question? Um, how have you found the last sort of three months as, as Johnny Owen, uh, the man, and Johnny Owen, the creative?
1: Yeah, it's been um, uh, an interesting time. You know, it's, uh, it's a time when the, the world has sort of taken a, a collective breath as well, I think. You know, obviously, I think the health of the nation and people comes first. You know, that's the most important thing. I think it was something that we had to do. Um, some things are much bigger than than livelihoods and art and all those kind of things. So I was quite proud of the fact that, you know, everybody sort of rallied together and made sure that people were safe. That was the most important thing. Um, obviously, as time has gone on, we've seen sort of uh, the economy slowly come back to life and the arts in particular. I think this week it's had a massive boost, really, isn't it, with the the injection of cash this got, which I'm really glad of. It was a massive sigh of relief. For me personally, I kind of um, I learned to cook, it's a terrible thing They do, really. I, I was one of those blokes that had sort of like relied on beans on toast all his life. But I, I learned to cook the basics like veg and chicken and fish for the first time. So I, I kind of learned to do that. So I used that as an advantage, Um tried to get reasonably fit, sort of went for a run most days. Um And I ended up doing um, a bit of radio over here as well in the UK. I did some um, talk sport stuff. So, um yeah, you know, in, in some ways I had, you know, had a decent time of it it was nice to have a break it was lovely to spend time with the family uh, with Vicky and my daughter so on those there were positives but you know the most important thing was you know that we, we we all rallied together and and understood that it was about bigger things than all of us really and sort of you know looked after people especially sort of
0: the older and the more vulnerable totally I mean another important thing to me it looks like you've just had an air mate I know I had
1: one on the, uh, <laughs> one on the, uh, on the weekend as soon as it did um Myself and my partner, Vicky, Vicky McClewell, the actress. We know um, a guy who's a hairdresser called Louie, who's very good. And um, he came round and he did us uh, on the morning of my birthday. My birthday fell on July the 4th, which was the day, of course, that um, the pubs
0: reopened. And, uh, oh, wonderful. And
1: oh, yeah, it was a nice present, really, for everybody. Uh, so, yeah, he came round and sorted us out. And, uh, you know, I made sure I got a, a decent haircut because I was desperate for one minute, i got to be honest.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's kick on with the... Um... The playlist. And um, for track one, Johnny, I'm going to ask you what you think is the song with the greatest ever intro.
1: Mm. Um, I think I think it's Hard Day's Night. Um, there's been, you know, I don't know. If there's many songs that have had um, whole mathematical papers written about the chord that uh, that everybody has a great debate over. From what I understand, it's it's a, it's it's a, it's a G on a, on a twelve string with with John playing an F on an acoustic. But from what I understand, Paul plays the D note very high up on his bass. And something happened, George Martin explains it really well, where the, the note rattled around the, the acoustic guitar of of John, and, uh, and it, it gave it this sort of um, this astonishing sort of sound, really, that everybody tries to replicate and can't. I just think it's, uh, it sums the Beatles up, really, that they were kind of like uh, changing space and time without
2: realising.
1: Yeah. And I love that about what they did as, as artists, you know, the, the fact that they were these young men constantly experimenting. I remember reading once about when they were recording Revolver, harrison used to turn up with bits of paper in his pocket and pull them out and, and lennon would come in and can we try this and can we try that so i just think that uh, nothing sums them up like that the beatles i'm a yeah. massive beatles fan as i've often said they had a huge effect on me um and i did think about i feel fine which i love as well because i love the.
0: oh what record i
1: know and the, and the chord and and the chord's really difficult to play as well um i learned a bit of the, of the guitar and they, were, they could really play. They were virtuoso musicians as well. That was weird, it was the thing about the Beatles. But also, they kind of like... Um, I always felt they were kind of inventing chords. You know, they sort of must have imagined their age on. What do you think of this? And, you know, yeah. they'd, they'd make shapes. And I don't think um, a lot of the time they, they probably knew the, the technical name. They certainly couldn't read music. They often admitted that. But maybe that was um, an advantage to them because they didn't care. You know, they yeah. were find and they were bound in. So, yeah, for me, it's the start of Hard Day's Night. I think the chord is so famous, and um, it's so clever, and it's so instantly recognisable. So many people can tell what the song is. You, know, I mean, yeah. to write the song that becomes so famous with the opening chord is, is genius
0: to me. It, it, it's totally genius, and, and, and no-one's actually chose this, Johnny, but people have mentioned it because... Yeah. You know, it is just that iconic. What I thought was a cold, but you've now explained it that it's a multitude of calls, which I had no idea that was yeah. the case. So that's uh, <laughs> that's great. And I'll tell you what. Before we started this, I was just flicking through my, my social media, and I saw that um, the streets had just said, "Oh, it's the first album, the first streets album uh, in ten years is out tomorrow," mm. and and that seems to be kind of something that is quite commonplace now, where you know, bands don't do anything for sort of five or six years, then put out another album. And when you think of the the time span of the Beatles' entire career and what they've done in that short space of time, it's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? It's preposterous. I mean,
1: there's there's all those amazing stats, and I think it's something like, isn't it 18 months or maybe even two years at the most between A Hard Day's Night and Tomorrow Never Knows. Um, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Sorry, and Tomorrow which is extraordinary, you know, you kind of, if you think that uh, Love Me Do was 1962 and, you know, A Day in the Life was only, what, five years later, it's an extraordinary thing that they they progressed so rapidly. Uh, yeah. I remember reading once uh, a famous uh, writer saying that we haven't quite computed yet how good the Beatles actually were. We still haven't sort of uh, yeah. qualified it really because nothing has happened like it in that way since. Um, I mean, you've got great artists, you know, and uh, in all forms of art, but I don't think, I think they were the greatest artists of the 20th century because they affected so much. They changed everything. They changed not just music, they changed film, they changed, you know, art itself, you know, with pop art and all those kind of things and fashion. So I just think, I just think that um, the speed and like you're saying, it was, it was how efficient they were. The fact that they were going, right. You've got to go in today. You've got to do these gigs you've got to record these songs, and then we've got to go to these places in this part of the world. And they just did it.
0: Um, I didn't even consider that. Like, you, I'm talking about how, how prolific they were with their, their songwriting and recording. They obviously were playing stadiums worldwide as well and making films and God knows what else. It's crazy, isn't it?
1: Writing books. I mean, like Lennon wrote two books, didn't he, in 64 and Yeah, 65, in his own right, and spanning in the works. Then he did a film, How I Won the War. Um, Harrison was going over to India and hanging around and bringing back Ravi Shankar, uh, yeah. Art McCartney in particular, was sort of like really invested in the art scene in London in the mid-1960s. So they were the catalyst for everything I felt at that time that was spilling out from London. It wasn't just the music thing. It was, they kind of, I mean, a lot of people say to me that Harrison in particular brought back the sort of the Indian uh, music culture and a lot of other things from so meditation and all those things that we think of as normal now in Western culture, yoga stuff like that. It all started with them, you know, these liverpudlians, but we're into this kind of thing, and they brought that style of music into music as well. I mean, people often go, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. I mean, the guy that started probably the most important company of the last 20, 30 years, uh, Steve Jobs, Apple, was a massive Beatles fan and stole their name. I mean, they only resolved it 10 years ago, the Beatles were like, well, that was our idea. And their idea was literally what he took on, you know, music technology all those kind of things they want to do with apple itself um so you know even apple is kind of like is, is yeah a, owes, owes a debt to the beatles so it's like their, their influence is everywhere in in yeah. everything as well you know and then you can just break it down to something like a chord that starts a song you know and like you're saying and then when you break the chord down you go there's a lot more going on here than i yeah realize you know
0: i don't think anyone's ever answered that question quite as uh well was that johnny <laughs> track two mate i'm going to ask you what the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you
1: it was uh god Save the queen by the sex pistols i was okay i was six years of age when punk broke uh, i was very lucky i had a brother who was six
0: years older than me so he did so Harold, do you mind me asking how, how old are you then johnny yeah i'm 49 right okay
1: so i was born in 1971 so i kind of remember the first turns of, of uh of punk it was my first kind of Memory, really, of popular culture. I do I do kind of remember, um, I remember Greece being out in Saturday Night Fever. And I can remember vaguely Elvis dying. I remember being that on television. My mother's a big Elvis fan, so I remember that. But the thing, the, the, the music that I remember most viscerally was my brother, older brother, came home with the Nevermind the Bollocks album, um, and he played it. Uh, he was great, my older brother. He'd have me in his bedroom. He had his he had the box room and he had a he had a stereo, a seventies stereo, and he'd play these vinyl records on it. I wasn't allowed to touch because no. I was <laughs> Sometimes he'd let me like hold them in my hand if he was there and I just got a look at this record. It was great, you know. So it really it really made me value them as well. You know, I was like, Oh my god, this is it's a yeah. single. So i I remember him coming home. I remember the colour of it. I remember it being very yellow and pink, you know, the, the, the great artwork. I can't remember who the artist was who did it, but the idea was it to be like a ransom note, wasn't it? Which I thought It's was
0: really cool. stark, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, the, the cut-out letters and that. And then he played um, Holidays in the Sun and, you know, marching feet, and I'm six, you know. I'm in, because I'm, I'm straight away. I'm like, yes, what's this? And then the guitar sound. And and what I, what I like about what's happened in the last... 10, 20 years about the Pistols and that album and the single, it's been reevaluated because I think McLaren, who was, was a brilliant spinmeister, a PR man, he did them a disservice in a way because the album is now seen as a classic and the music on it is fantastic. The way it's recorded, guitar playing, the bass playing, they were, they were a brilliant band, the Pistols. And I know Leiden uh, took, took exception to the fact that they were kind of dismissed McLaren with the line, they couldn't play. It was all part of it. But the irony was, they were a great little three-piece. Um, and God Save the Queen, I think it's. I think lyrically, it's one of the greatest songs ever written. I mean, just the line: um, "They made you a moron, but you're a potential H bomb." What a line that is! I yeah. mean, every every working class kid could associate with that. You know, yeah. who maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a job at the end of it, especially when. You know, I grew up, or we grew up in the '70s and '80s. That was what your hope was, but you potentially an H-bomb. You got it all going on you yeah. to. I thought Leiden's lyric there was exceptional, and I just think God Say the Queen is still three minutes of the most exciting music I've I can ever. I, I play it sometimes. I, I used to DJ back ten years ago now quite a lot. The young man's game, and I DJed all over the world. And I was DJing once in Stockholm, a packed club. And they do a night over there called Bangers and Mash, a very British, Anglocentric night. So you can play lots of music and, and the kids are great, it's packed over there. And um, I remember saying to the guys who run it, Robert and, and Magnus, I was thinking of I'm thinking of playing Gods of the Queen. I got Gods of the Queen on a seven-inch year. And they were like, Oh, chuck it on, they love it. And I said, like, Would they? And he was like, they were like, Oh yeah, yeah. And I played it and it went down a storm. I'll never forget it, you know. Even yeah. with all these 18, old indie kids, it's such an exciting record. And I think there's some records that are Like that type. Hound Dog is another one. If you play Hound Dog now, it still sounds huge. Yeah, It it still blasts you almost, break on through by the doors. There's some songs that do that. And God Save the Queen was the song that I felt as a kid. I want to be part of this. I want to be in on this. Whatever my brother's bringing home, I want this. I want to buy these records and I want to listen to it. uh, And and I'm in. I'm in with you. And that was The Crystals.
0: So was that emotion just pure excitement
1: yeah it was I, I i my brother and me talk about it often he says he says to me now he says to me it's great my brother chris he said you just couldn't stop jumping around the bedroom so i can remember it it was like as if somebody plugged something into you that's what he said yeah. Yeah, i said I get it he, he says i remember it so you couldn't stop yourself jumping around yeah. and it's so kind of and um my my nephew is two now dexter and I played for him Johnny Cash the other day uh, for some prison blues live thing. And he, he asks for it all the time. And I can I see what my brother was talking about, where something in us as human beings, I, I mean, the theories are that your mother's heartbeat in the womb and all those kind sure. of But there is something about beats and music. Everybody loves music. It doesn't matter yeah. if you like classical music or you know rock music or whatever you like. You will not meet a human being who goes. I hate all music. It's impossible yeah. not to like like music, and uh, and I think there's something it does to us as humans because because of, of what we are, the, this body carrying around the soul that it taps into. It it's 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 something that's unique.
0: To I think that um, and God Save the Queen's a, a really good example as well. Like it 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 sounds it still sounds fresh. It's it like there's lots of stuff from that kind of from sort of seventy seven around that era like, of punk stuff that sounds very dated and the production sounds of its time. Uh, I shouldn't say dated, I mean of its time. Um, but you listen to Never Mind the Bollocks. That could come out tomorrow and it wouldn't sound out of time. It, it, whether it's the production, I don't know. But it still sounds as huge and as fresh as when it come out. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying?
1: I'd absolutely. Do you know, funny thing, Stewart Marconi was t- saying exactly the same the other day. He, he was on a programme on BBC4 <laughs> And they showed the Gods of the Queen. They played Gods of the Queen, and they showed the video they did, where uh, it's just them playing. Um, yeah, and he's got the knotted handkerchief on, and the t- yeah, and it finishes, and he's got he's got a few guests with him. They must be doing a discussion on on music or something, and it finishes, and exactly as you said, he just goes. That still sounds massive, and they still look extraordinary, don't they? And every yeah. the audience goes, yes, it's still a really visceral thing when you see the young Sex Pistols. It, they still look like. Um, they still look dangerous, but, yeah. but sexy. And that was yeah. the thing with, with um, you know, the sex Pistols and my older brother and all those kind of things that he brought home. <clears throat> they was, <clears throat> excuse me, they were sexy, something sexy, but it was something your parents were saying, oh, be careful of that. Don't listen to that. Or oh, the punks and this and the bondage trousers. All those kind of things. But I felt, <clears throat> excuse me, I know, <clears throat> something stuck in my throat. Hang on. Yeah. <clears throat> I felt that um, that only added to it as a kid. You felt, oh my god, I want to know more about this. Then, do you know what I it, mean? yeah. which is rock and roll, isn't it? especially. Yeah, totally. It's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, th- I somebody said something the other day that really struck a chord with me. They went, when you when you're 16 and you watch Don't Look Back with Bob Dylan, you think he's so cool, Dylan, because he's really quite arrogant, in it, you know. And they said that when you're 35, you think, oh, he's a bit arrogant. <laughs> when you when you get to my age you think oh he's a bit of a wanker there <laughs> and it's a bit like it's like that I mean I love Liam Gallagher I think he's I think he's our greatest rock star him and his brother are fantastic the last 20, 30 years I think they've been superb but now that I'm older I don't when I think of them when they were like when they were like a 21 I just think oh I would have hated to have been their tour manager or looking yeah. at them at that time because they would have been an handful and that's yeah, because that's what rock and roll should be it's a bit like the thing of um if you're still liking music in your fifties that's coming out now, then it's not dangerous enough. Do you know what I mean it should? It should yeah. be buying you as you get older. I I do agree with that a little bit, you know.
0: Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so for track three, I'm going to ask you uh, the song that reminds you of your time at school.
1: I've, 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 I'm going to do two here because I'm. Going to do, I got one for primary school, one for secondary school. Um, primary school. Uh, it's a song called. Uh, Love Plus One by Haircut One Hundred.
0: Oh, what a record!
1: I know, and I just when I was when I used to go to primary school, this was again, I'm sure my age, you know, still. But mid seventies, our radio could come through the TV set. We had a red diffusion wooden TV set, and it was only four three channels. And then one of the, then you would go to the radio, so you get Radio One, Radio Two. And every morning when we got ready for school, me and my two brothers, my mother. She would get ready for work. We'd have Terry Wogan was then doing the morning show on, I think my might even be, Radio 1. I don't know, but he was on. Um, and that was a song that was number one around that time. And it just really reminds me of getting ready and going to primary school and us all rushing about the house and all the rest. And if I hear it now, I'm back there. I am yeah. 1980 or whatever it was, and I'm, what, eight, nine years of age and my mother's going, Harry, you haven't put your socks on. you? <laughs> come on, you're going to be late. And it just reminds me of that that era. And that's the great thing about music, isn't it? There's nothing like music for transport you back to uh, yeah. to a time.
0: And then, where, where, uh, wo- where was school?
1: <coughs> it was a place called. Um, I've lived obviously from a place called Tydfil which is in South Wales, very traditional industrial mining town as it was, and a big steel works. My dad and my grandparents were all from heavy industry, worked underground and things. But that was that was the norm then. I was it was unusual if your dad didn't work in the pit or the steel works. So, um, I was from a very ordinary working-class background, but very lucky, great family, uh, great support network of friends, um, everybody kind of financially in the same boat, Uh, holidays, you know, once a year, great Christmases, brothers, football in the street, you know, that almost archetypal working-class background. Really, really lucky, and obviously... I'd grown up with comprehensive education, which was very good, you know, universal health care. So I had a really, like, I um, had a good upbringing, lucky, lucky to have a, a good, loving family, you know, uh, and background. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I kind of um, I look back very um, nostalgically at happy times, really. My dad passed away two, three years ago, but, you know, he was 78 and he'd been, um, he, he'd lived a very full and rich life. And, you know, I was glad I had him you know, if if, if I can say that. And my, my, sure. brothers, my brothers are still living there and i got nephews down there and stuff and great friends. I mean, people often remark about it, but I still got the same friends I had when I was in primary school. I still know them, still see them, still, um, you know, I meet them for a pint and that'll never change. So, yeah, I was um, at a good time. And when I went to secondary school, for some reason, um, it's a song by Simply Red called Holding Back the Years. If I hear that, I'm... I'm like fourteen, fifteen again. I mean comp, start discovering girls for the first time, fashion, uh, football. I'm starting to go to the football and I'm allowed to go with my mates. <coughs> so yeah, so that reminds me of that sort of period is um holding back the years. I don't know why. Obviously top of the pops was such a a seminal event in the week and everybody used to talk about it the next day, you know. I was mentioning the other day if somebody said to me, Oh, blah, 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 blah. i was go. Do you remember when the aha video came out, take on me that Famous drawing video, and he was like, Yes. And I was like, Do you remember when that was on Top of the Pops? And, and this lad's from Manchester, he was going, Yeah. And I was going, Wasn't it, you know, a talking point the next day in school? And he was like, Absolutely. And I love those things that were music and TV programs, The Young Ones was one, and Black Adder, where everybody would talk about it on the next day in school and yeah. mention the fact they'd say Billy Connolly on Parkinson was another one, you know. Yeah. Everybody, they'd be like seminal events, really. And holding back the years kind of reminds me of that. I just remember that song being out and yeah you know, i was i was kind of like the time i was in the style council but for some reason that song transports me to that period
0: and i mean mick ucknell gets a rough deal do you know yeah. what i mean and and everything else aside his voice is incredible oh he right? people have me
1: i was on about him the other day i was like oh, i like simply Red a minute and they were like oh Exactly as you said, Stuart. Is he a guilty pleasure? I said, "Fuck off!" (laughs) I love Megatron. I love Simply Red. I had stars and some songs. He wrote some amazing singles, but it's quite cool to sort of give him um, give him a bit of a hard time, really, isn't it? But not, yeah, no, no, no. I don't understand the saying um, "guilty pleasure" because if it's a pleasure, I'm not guilty about it. Completely, uh, completely. Yeah, I was a bit like. Right, Johnny Logan remember Johnny Logan had two great um, Eurovision singles that
0: were um, oh. hits and I was like what a fucking team that was And then, Guilty Pleasure no I, I like it great single have you I mean I'm not I, I, I quit watching football in 1989 right <laughs> but have you watched because I had Colin Murray on here and he was telling me about Johnny Logan singing yeah. Bohemian yeah fuck me so I went on YouTube and watched it. have you watched that Yes, great. It's so good. I
1: know, I know. And the thing is, they're, they're a really cool team to watch, you now, they are. They kind of the people fly over to Dublin to watch the, the Bohemians and St. Pats to play each other because it's a great weekend, you
0: know, yeah.
1: about Dublin, blah, blah. But that's, I just think that's a really like, I, I love, I love when football fans are funny like that, when they adopt something and it becomes theirs. And you yeah. go, well, why? And they go, I don't know. Somebody was in a, in a pub, one night, probably pissed, started yeah. singing that and everybody joined in. And I was like, yes, yeah. that's what it's about. Do you know what I mean? And uh,
0: yeah, totally.
1: songs,
0: is yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the Proclaimers as well, because Sunshine on Leaf, when you see that, oh, oh Echo Manor Stadium, that's, that's a bottom lip trembler that is, mate.
1: Well, when they, when they
0: won the Scottish Cup
1: for the first 100 oh. years and they sang that, I think that's one of the most beautiful moments in football history ever. I honestly yeah. watched that and it, everything's in there because... I'm a good mates with Irving Welsh, and he said to me that when we sang that, we sang it for our fathers and grandfathers and died in oh, that. And I was like, oh, wow, do you know what I mean? And I'm, the line, while I'm worth my room on this earth, what a line that is. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Oh, mate, what a great band. Great band they are. So did you enjoy school? Yeah,
1: I was all right. I mean, I think with school for me was... I mean, I won't lie, South Wales as an industrial area was great, but it could be tough in the sense of, like, everything was about how hard everybody was. <laughs> so it was like, what's he like? Is he hard? Is he not? So you had a lot of that that went on. But I wouldn't change any of it. Do you know what I mean? It kind of, it, it was a good apprenticeship for life, I think, going to school in South Wales in that time. Yeah. I had to sort of be, either learn to sort of fight, run quickly, or use your mouth. I mean, <laughs> was one of those things, and that, that's fine because that kind of prepares you for life.
0: Um, well, so, Murtha Murth- Murth- had one of the greatest fighters ever, right? Yeah, exactly. Murth has produced a lot of world
1: champions. Howard Winstone, Jimmy Wilde, Johnny Owen, you know, the, mm. the matchstick man.
0: The matchstick, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it was, it, was, it was it's a tough town with a big heart, I always say, and, you know, you've got to be on your toes. But I think with school for me was I kind of left school um, getting through and I only left with four O-Levels and I kind of like got a job there in, in the local uh, Hoover factory uh, as a computer boy. My dad, get into computers, it's the future. You know. <laughs> no interest in it, but I got into it and I was very lucky I had a job. And then what happened to me was I kind of got to about eighteen, nineteen, and I, I, I noticed the student recruitment for Hoover. And what they do is they'd recruit students who got a degree and they'd be trained as managers. And I can remember actually going that I would never get there in 20, 30 years because they are taken from the... So I, I, for the first time, I understood where people in the past had said to me, if you work in school, it means you, you, this, you've got more of a chance of this happening. And I understood it for the first time there because I'd seen it in a very uh, physical way of somebody coming in straight from university, being trained as management and being in charge of a division. So the my department shut down. Uh, in Hoovers, and I was offered redundancy. I was only, like, 20, I think, and it was a few thousand pounds, so I thought, I'm going back to education. So I went back, and I did some extra O-levels and an A-levels, and then I got into university. So I left university at about 23, 24, uh, but I got the degree. I thought myself, I'm going to get a degree. And, um, again, it shows how old I am. I had a grant to go, and I left about any debt because I could pay for it. And it, this was the early nineties, so I just caught that thing of where it didn't cost, and you got a grant to go. So very lucky in that respect. But I did, I did, um, I did kind of keep my head down in school and just think, well, I'll get through this, and didn't take advantage of it in the way that I probably should have. My dad's up. If my dad is upstairs sitting down, we go. I've just telling him this for years. <laughs> I mean?
2: The Killer Tricks' Future Weapons EP is out now.
0: Certain tracks. Listen on all the major streaming platforms or
2: find out where to buy in the show notes. It's Badass. Like me, the sexy robot lady. Ooh yeah, baby. Right there. That's good. That's good. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: All right, we'll, look, we, we, we'll pick back up on, on, on that kind of area of life, because I'm sure that's going to sort of come into uh, track five. But for track four, I'm just going to go back again, Johnny, and ask you the first song you bought from a record shop. Right, the first
1: record I ever bought from a record shop, I always think people lie about this, don't they? But I, I, bought, the, um, I bought the summer, I, I wanted to buy... Summer love In from Greece Because i seen Greece in the pictures. Um, and I'd only, only even about seven years of age. But I loved it because of the music and all the rest of it. Uh, and my mother took me. And I can remember queuing for hours to get in because it was a big thing. I'd seen that. And I think Star Wars was either the summer before or around the same time. Mm. But i seen Star Wars, and I loved Star Wars. I was, like I said, I was the perfect age for it. And to the point where it's a bit of a family story where my mother, I, I insisted on being called Luke. So she, she'd call me. For, <laughs> now, she'd call me for tea. She'd go, Jonathan, and I wouldn't come. And then she'd go, Luke, and I'd come running. I'd just, <laughs> change my name, um, and then I seen Greece, and I really enjoyed Greece as a kid. I thought oh, this is great. So I can remember the first single going to Woolworths and going, and this is really funny. I went in and I went. I was with my mother and father. And I went. Can I get the Greece song? And I meant Summer Loving. And of course they got me the the theme song, which is uh, Greece is my world. Is Greece is the world by Frank,
0: I think it's Frankie Valley or wherever it was. It is Frankie Valley, yeah. Um, one of the, one of the greatest intros ever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I got home and I was devastated because it was the wrong song. <laughs> and of course I couldn't go back to town and change it. Eh? It was by six, seven o'clock, but then the pub's, uh, yeah. club, and so shops to shut five o'clock. So I was like, ah so then on the Monday, I think my mother went in when I went to school and changed it for me. So the first single i ever bought was summer Lovin'" from greece but it wasn't it turned out to be the theme song which is greece which is a better song i realize he's yeah,
0: a better song i think you've done all right there
1: did all right yeah yeah but i changed it <laughs> because i was disappointed that uh that it wasn't the song that i wanted but I, I remember that um for the first time my mother and father they didn't buy me a record player different times then they was they'd managed to get hold of an almost like an old dance set thing that was a fold and must have been from an uncle or maybe even my grandfather and that was given to me for that record to play and that was mine then so i had a an old stack so i could start buying singles uh, but i didn't buy one for a long time after that for some reason i don't know i don't know why but i definitely remember the first single that i bought uh, myself where i would sort you'd say that was I had some taste was i bought straight yeah. By the, by the jam, I bought the jam, strange time, because I seen Paul Weller on Top of the Pops, and it's on YouTube now. He's got shades on, his hair's immaculate as always. He's got a boat in blazer on, a polo, wrecking backer, and I can remember watching it, and and, and I can literally remember going, oh, "That's him. I want to be him. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm the Paul Weller. He's he's the one." And I, I became. Um, I'm, I'm
0: done with Luke Skywalker. Yeah,
1: <laughs> he's had it. John Travolta, they've all gone. <laughs> I became a jam fanatic, and I was one of them that um I bought everything, got everything on bootleg tapes, I became a bit of a fanatic. and my older brother, my older brother said to me, that's what I realized. You had a bit more of the obsession than I did when it came to music and the arts. He said you were like you were off like really trying to find stuff, spending hours going through singles, and all the rest of it. and um when on my about my fortieth birthday, I went back to an old school reunion and a lad had flown over from Australia I was in school with me, Nick and the first thing he walked up to me he said to me are you still obsessed with Paul Weller? I was like yes <laughs> 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 he remembered from school uh, uh, I was obsessed with Paul Weller and I was like yes I am and he was like oh he said and, and, and I can remember he was into heavy metal he used to have like ACDC on, on the back of his jacket Brilliant. I remember saying to him I quite like ACDC now and he's like I quite like the jam now but in them days <laughs> as soon was the tribes who weren't allowed yeah. to like sort of cross over but, yeah, so... It's such
0: deep. a shame, like, uh, you know, I, I know I teeter on, you know, old man territory when I start talking like this, but there doesn't appear to be that much tribalism in music anymore. No. And, you know, throughout the whole of my life, there was almost... There was so much of it everywhere. In mean, every kind of movement in music, there was always another couple alongside it, and you, yeah. you chose your, you know, whatever T-shirt you was going to wear. You know, you buy your band T-shirt to show off well, your colours. It was dangerous.
1: People would fight yeah. it, wouldn't they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You went to town on a Saturday, and the skinheads were there or the rockers, <laughs> and you were walking along in your Parker, you know, in your Target t-shirt. You were a target, literally. You know, they come yeah. after you. So it was so tribal. You know, that's what I suppose. Uh, oh, thanks. Man. That was what um, you know the beach fights were, and all those kind of things. Yeah. Kind of like it was a kid's way of going. Well, I'm into this, and if you don't like it, then I'll fight you over it. Yeah, you don't get that anymore. So it's most he- it the pity. <laughs>
0: Well, you mentioned some some things earlier that were like you know, like the young ones and things like that that were like a kind of write a passage at school. You know, you would you, everyone watched the young ones. You know, everybody watched Top of the Pops. Like just talking on your your, your love of Weller and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, for me as well, I'm I'm, I'm a year younger than you, Johnny, um, but Quadrophenia was was the thing at our school as well. That was like that was up there with the young ones. That was the thing that we would just watch over and over and over again on. VHS or Betamax, whatever it was, and like that—that that was just as important as, as anything, you know.
1: Massive, massive. I say it all the time in interviews, and people must be bored of me saying it. But um, I, I, my older brother again, bless him, Chris, he got me a VHS of Quadrophenia. It must have only been out in cinemas, but I, and it might have been a bootleg because I was I was too young to go to cinema to watch it. Um, and obviously there was stuff in there that I wasn't really quite sure of. And yeah. years later, I watched it back. You know, my poor mother and father, you know, me watching it, and I was being you know, 10 at the most. And there's yeah. f- wanking in there and shagging. it's all yeah. stuff going on. You're like, but I, I've watched that film more than any other film in my life. So it's the film without a shadow that has had the biggest influence on me in my life. No two ways about it. Music, the story. And it's still a great film. I, I mean, I know the anniversary was last year. Last maybe. year, yeah. Yeah. And it was... You know, Phil Daniels was um was saying, Oh, you know, some of the dialogue's a bit clunky and but actually, you know, it still kinda of stands up and I was going, Well, mate, you've been too hard on yourself. It absolutely still stands up. If you play that to a young kid now, they get it. It's a bit like mm. what I was saying earlier on about the way Bob Dylan aged, you yeah. age, you know, and you look at back and go, Well he's a bit arrogant because he's young because that's what happens when you get older. You can look back at people the way they act when they're twenty one, you go, I can't believe I was I was into the way they acted. But Quadrophenia is a film, it's a great film, It's and it still stands up, and it's still one of the best sort of uh, teenage stories that's been put on celluloid, I think, of of what it's like to be that age, you know, and everything's going on Makes with hormones sense. and your mates and all the rest of it. Uh, and you're right, I mean, Quadrophenia was, had a huge effect on me. Um, a bit later, a mate of mine got... Um, and a really early edition of Train Trainspotting, um, a guy called Mark Evans, who was quite high up in the Welsh Football Association now, he ran a fanzine in Merthyr called Dilem for Merthyr, which was great. And he said to me, oh, there's a, there's a guy who writes for Rebel Inc., which is a fanzine in Scotland, called Irving Welsh. This was before Irving had ever been published. And I was like, all right. And he goes, God, you got to read his stories. They're brilliant. And then he managed to get all the Train Spotting, and that blew my mind when I read that. I was like, wow. it's astonishing. So like you're saying, Quadrophenia, you know, uh, never mind the bollocks. But, you know those the books I train spotting. You know certain paintings, like Lowry's paintings, where when I was a kid and I first seen them, I was like, God, oh, these are amazing. You know, the matchstick Men and go to the football match and all that. And yeah. I was like, Ah, oh, there's nothing better than when, when art moves you that way. You know, and Quadrophenia yeah. for me is the film that kind of like affected me the most, definitely.
0: And just to touch on Record Shops before we move on to the, the next question a little bit more. Um... Did they become a more important place for you as you grew up? Um because your observation of the sort of snootiness in record shops in Svengali was yes. so on point. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because um we had we
1: had one in Mirtha called Music Mania. There was also a stall in the market which was brilliant and I sold badges and patches and things like that, you know. So that was a great place to spend two, three hours. But the thing was was when you went to Music Mania and Smith's had a good section in Mirth as well, um, there would be other lads and, 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 and gangs, you know, like I say, heavy metal kids and rockabilly's hanging around. It took it took a while for you to become sec to be accepted, to go in there to hang around long enough to pick your record, if you know what I mean. You know, you kinda yeah. like you got the looks and and do you need any help, mate? And you know, you can't you can't I <laughs> remember somebody saying to me, and the shame of it, you know because I was going through fanzines, and I was going through um, the mod fanzines, all fire and scale and all those kind of things. And somebody going, you can't spend more than five minutes looking through them, and you've either got to buy one or fuck off. <laughs> okay. I was like, uh, I'll have this one. You know, I couldn't pick it. I was just like, oh, just, you know, he's like, don't think you can spend all morning in your mate while they're having a cup of tea with all their pals. <laughs> I mean, those kind of stuff I remember really well. But I would spend hours in Merthyr and Cardiff going through those kind of uh, places, if I could. You know, once you yeah. got there. I mean, and I think it was Virgin that did that, and so, certainly in London in the 70s, and I don't know Rafa they did, where they allowed people to be in there for a long time with headphones on, listening to stuff didn't me and all that. So it was it was kind of like, they were aware that people wanted to do it, but they wouldn't allow you in some places. They'd say, do you not, go on, on you go.
0: Okay. <laughs> Track five, Johnny. Yeah. The song that soundtrack your year's clubbing. Do you know, it's... Um, it's a song by a band called 808 State. It's
1: a song, oh. a song called Pacific State. Oh. And I was really lucky. I went to, um, I went to Ibiza or Bifa, when I was about 18 uh, with the lads, 19. And I went twice over about a period of three years. And then I got to know some lads. I mean, how lucky was this? I got to know some, I met a girl basically from Manchester when I was 18, on my 18th birthday out in Spain. And I arranged to go meet her when I was back in Manchester. And her friends had some lads who they were going out with, um, and I got really pally with them. I'm still mates to them to stay. Uh And literally, this is like, this is 88, 89. They were going, it's pretty good up here. Now, they weren't going to mean, oh, it's Manchester and his bands and his Monday and Roses and his clubs. They just went, it's good up here at the moment. This is just great clubs. and. Was
0: that just on the cusp of it, like, blowing yeah. up?
1: Yeah, yeah, just sort of as it was hitting. And they were like... And I've spoken since to people from Manchester that I've got to know really well, like Sean Ryder and Manny and Joe Hartley. And I was like, oh, do you know what? I wasn't really like, when I went there, it wasn't about the Hacienda and all that stuff, which was going on, obviously. I used to go up to a place called Butterflies in Oldham, which used to have a room for like soul and then a room for disco and a room for like other stuff. And that's when I first knew what ADH did. And, and play, they have all gone. yes, that's what we used to do. And I was like, I won't believe my mind about Manchester, and I'll never forget this. And this sums the eighties up, ladies up in Britain. I couldn't believe the clubs were open after one o'clock because they shut down in Wales. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, what time is the club shut? And they were like, what, two, three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, wow. And then at two or three o'clock the morning, you'd leave, and they'd go, do you want something to eat? You know, I'm like, you're hungry. I'd be like, can you eat? You know, this is like four o'clock in the morning. I mean, in Wales, you know, you're in bed. And I was like, they were like, yeah, we we'll are go and get a curry. So I was like 18 in Manchester and I'd been to a club and I'd heard eight, to 8 State and I'd heard, you know, these songs. I, and, you know, I'm starting to hear, like they'd play the Mondays and they'd play, they'd play disco in amongst it and they'd play like the Jackson Sisters and they'd play Strawberry Fields by the Beatles. And then they'd play like, you know, something by, uh, you know, Joy Division. It was amazing. And so that kind of blew my mind a bit. And they'd play all this eclectic stuff because in South Wales, they were just playing... Stockick and Waterman. And even though they, the clubs were a good laugh was with my mates and all the rest of it, I remember going to Manchester and going to me, Oh, you don't need to wear shoes to get in. And I was like, You've got to wear like a shirt and tie in Wales. Genuinely, you had to wear a shirt and tie to go up in Cardiff on the 30s, like 88. And they were like, No, no, you can get in in jeans. I was like, Wow, you can get in in jeans. They were like, Yeah. So I, like, you know, you could get in in jeans, you could hear all different types of music, and then you could have something to eat at five o'clock in the morning. And I thought, This city is fucking amazing <laughs> that was manchester and everybody i've spoken to us on my were like yes the, the the other stuff which is like written about and talked about a lot of that is like it's whatever you want it to be and people have different experiences but what manchester was at that time it was just it was opening up sunny Working in the sky it was it was opening up manchester was in a different way and and the rest of the countries then began to follow suit after that in the US following. So you started to have clubs that just played dance music and you could go in with trainers and then people would end up in fields raving and all that. And I remember it. I remember the, the feeling of being in Manchester and going, you know, I can wear jeans out on a Saturday night and it's no problem to get in anywhere. Do you know what I mean? And that was a revelation for me.
0: I think that's, the, the, you know, the area the, 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 the you talk about there, like that sort of 88, 89, just the, 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 the movement in... In music and culture was so huge then mm. and 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 I think like and you, and you 're so right like we're, I, I live in Essex, and like literally everything around here was a fucking paisley tie and a shirt, yeah to go in a fucking nightclub yeah and like and you 'd have to listen to music you didn 't particularly like yeah, and then at, at like one o 'clock you 'd get there 'd be a slow section where you would ask a girl for a slow dance yeah. Yeah. What's that about? Like it's crazy. The thought of doing that now, just like right, we're gonna slow things down there, you know, Moodle. this is a liter Adams. It's a like, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mate my mate said a great thing the other day he said to me if if George Bud Michael was on singing Caless Whisper and you hadn't got a girl to dance today and you may as well fuck off and get chips <laughs> you <know>. to <But>, uh, go. <laughs> It's so true, isn't it? It's like if, so play, if I was playing, if we're still on the side of the dance floor. Forget it, son. It's not happening tonight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah we're going to dance again? Where are you from, man? <laughs> Come here. Get
0: what you do. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Um, what? What? I mean, what did you want from clubbing, Johnny? What did I want? Sorry. What did you want from clubbing? Um, oh,
1: good music. I did like it when they played music, that, you know, I, I, th- I think. That's what Manchester did for me, and then Glasgow was a bit like that when I went there. Where um, I loved it when they would drop something like, like I remember being in Glasgow in a, in a in a famous club called Fury Murray's, and they dropped "Get Off My Cloud" by the Rolling Stones, and I remember thinking, "This is great. This is what it should be." You know, and I loved that. I loved I loved the fact you could listen to different songs, and and then they play some dance stuff and they play some disco, some bit of Northern soul. I like I like the um, I just I liked. I liked the atmosphere in a good club. I liked, I liked the fact that it could go on for as long as you wanted to, and I liked the social side of it as well. I liked, I liked the fact that you'd meet up before going to a club, and then you'd come after the club, you'd go, for, you know, to eat and you'd all stay together. It was just a great social thing. I always felt. Do you know what I mean? If you found yeah. a good nightclub and you had good mates, and even now, like you know, the lads I used to go clubbing with, like I said, I, I still know them. We don't go anymore; we're too fucking old now. But you know, it's like, uh, we, you know, we all reminisce about it. Because you've got, you got that energy when you're young as well. You know what I mean? It's just like, I know people talk about drink and drugs and all that. But God, when you're 18, 19, it's amazing how, how, how much energy you've got that you're able to just go
0: all night, right through the yeah. night. You know, you just are, aren't you? So are you, what, what's your thoughts on, um like, nostalgia and uh, in regards to um, bands coming back and playing that album or um, because our, but a previous guest of mine another Johnny um, I'm sure if I remember rightly he said he went to see the Stone Roses with you.
1: Yes I did yeah I went to see the Stone Roses I mean um, there's, a, there's a famous uh, saying about nostalgia art is just uh, is, is, is an exercise in, in tweaking nostalgia or something, and there's a lot of truth and I've been speaking about it all, all afternoon with you now talking about songs that take me back to my childhood and all that it taps into something doesn't it in um, in the human memory, and you know, I, I remember my mate In the day, he was working on the um, the Take That um, reunion tour, and he went, "Mate, it's just full of forty-year-old women drinking prosecco, going mental because they're all eighteen again." You know, yeah. and that with their friends, they've all had kids now. They've all lived the life, but chance for them to act like they were when they were eighteen again. Um, and I, it was a bit like that for the Stone Roses with me. Obviously, I I, I went to see the Stone Roses. I'd seen them in Spike Island. I was a big fan because when I went up to Manchester those first few times, um, my mates up there were like, oh, there's a band called the Stone Roses. I I kind of heard of them. I think a mate of mine had um, Sally Cinnamon or maybe even a song before that that was on Revolver, the Revolver label. So I was aware of them, but then when I seen them and I thought they looked great as well, I was like, oh, I'll have these. So I kind of, um, yeah, I, I was... I was probably a good example of somebody who was reliving being 18, 19 again when I went to see them at Heaton Park. But I did it, interestingly enough, Stu, in a very different way. So this is what I often say to people. When I did it when I was 18, I drove in my mini Metro from South Wales with my brother and my mate Stevie Deacon, who's still a mate of mine now. We abandoned the car in the middle of uh, witness, I think it was, whatever it was. Um, and a copper said to us, "Yeah, just stick it whatever, whatever you want." I'll never forget it. It was like cars, up on, you know, on banks, grass banks, just like yeah, whatever. So we walked into the um, into where they played. There was no like uh, stall selling anything that I remember. Certainly not like food or beer or gourmet burgers or any of that nonsense. It was just young, young people all dressed in a very specific way, and we seen the gig. Um, I think you know we. I don't. We, we didn't drink anything because there was nothing to drink. Um, we just had water with us. And, uh, and you know, that kept us hydrated. And then, you know, we were up and then we watched the gig. We came back to the car in the early hours. I tried to drive back to South Wales. My brother was on with us the other day. Fell asleep in two services on the way. And we got back to Wales with the sunrise the next morning. And one of the service stations was the first time that I found out you can't stay there for more than two hours because we fell asleep and somebody came and knocked the car. And boys, we were like, all right. We get back to South Wales. And that's what I did when I was 19. When I was 43, or whatever it was, I went with Adidas in a private car. They put me up in the Lowry. I went in the VIP bit. I met the Stone Roses. I was a side of stage. I had, like, um, wood-fired pizza. And I did it that way. And I'm glad I did it that way because I wouldn't want to do it the 18-year-old way. Well, you, you weren't the right, yeah? You, you, you done, you, yeah? you put
0: the graft in. Put
1: the graft in. Exactly. <laughs> what I'm glad I did it like that then. But I would never in a million years do it that way, no. Um, but it was a really funny moment where I don't know who designed it, but the VIP bit was literally just like uh, a gap in between the crowd divided in half, like a walkway with just some raised chairs. So you sat in this raised chair, and can you imagine? You you walk in and sit down. And it's me and it's Shane Meadows, and Vicky's there, and there's other you know people from you know soaps and all and so on. And of course, two thousand monks turn around and go, ah, oh, it's you, lot, is it? You know, and they start talking to you and shouting to you, and can I come in? You know, can I do a selfie? And you're like, yeah, yeah, de blah, blah. And in the end, because obviously you know you just it would just get in that Everybody was all the time. They took us into the sound booth. And we got a seat in the sound booth, which was amazing because we got all the, the, the you know, the, the beauty, of it, beauty of it all, the light show and everything. And we went into the sound booth and then they took us back after the gig to where the Stone Roses sort of families were, where they had a bit of a, a decompress. And they were lovely. And I, obviously I, I got to know Manny quite well. Vicky knows Ian Brown. And we had a bit of a chat with them and all the rest of it. And Manny is, is just, he's, he was telling me a story after he went to me he was he was not skint, but you know he was just getting by. And he, he two summers before we DJed together in Brighton, and he had to sell his scooter to take his missus. And I think his boys might have been born then; He's got twins. Um, and he had to sell his scooter to take them on holidays. And I remember him saying to me, "Then the then the Stone Roses met, I think uh, again at his mother's funeral, and started talking, decided to reform, and obviously got got their payday, which they deserved." of reforming and he's got a bank account in the co-op in stockport and he goes down after they've signed the things no idea it's just given his he puts it and he's got a million pound in his current account but his accountant's going fucking hell you're gonna get taxed to death on that you can't do that so anyway (laughs) he's like "Oh, okay we'll do whatever but that was what it was like for the stone roses and something like manny suddenly he was a millionaire again because the stone roses had decided to reform, and I was a bit like, well, I like that story. I like the fact yeah, that... Yeah, that that's incredible. He's got his comeuppance again. Do you know what I mean, he's got, he's got what he deserves. And I think yeah. when I hear that, I go, well, I don't mind that then. And I always think about Noel and Liam, and um, I'm a big Oasis fan. I think I think they, them two are terrific. They, they, they're brilliant. They're a hoot in interviews, and uh, I think they've been great rock stars. And I like the way Noel says every so often, well, maybe I'll reform if I'm ever, you know, if I'm skint again, because... That'll be worth like a hundred million pounds them coming back to me. Oh my god. It was a bit like an insurance <laughs> insurance pension policy for them TV right but yeah, I I, um, I did it I did it in two very different experiences that was sort of reflective of my my age at that point in my life, I think Stu.
0: Okay. Let's take it back to your home county. Track six, Johnny, favorite song from an artist from your home county? Do you know it's a
1: really, really modern one, funnily enough. Uh, there's a young band that came from Merthyr Tidville. And they were called Pretty Vicious. Um and they they were signed uh, in a in a, a blaze of publicity about five years ago, four or five years ago. Um every record company was after them. Um and then they they kind of they imploded in a way, um, bless them. They're only really young lads, lovely lads as well. Uh and like, for whatever reason that was, I don't know. But it was such a shame because they released an album then. I think end of last year um, and they'd split up, you know, they decided to pack it and they're still only in their early twenties and they got signed in their teens um, on the back of a, of a demo, which was very, very good. Um, but the album's terrific. Uh, and they're Murtha boys. Uh, and I think the singer Brad who wrote the song. He's back in Murtha living now. Um, but it's, they're well worth checking out. They're called Pretty Vicious. What's it like? And yeah, and they're, um, they're they're really good, and you know they're from Merthyr, Uh and the album. I don't, I'm trying to think what the album's called. I, let me tell you. Oh, the album's. There's a song on it called. Um, it goes, "Oh, don't ever let them win. You'll beat yourself to death just to be here." It's fantastic. It's a real. I think it's called something like that. Don't ever let them win. Um, and it's well worth checking out. And I think that's my favourite song anybody's ever produced from my town or county by a band called Pretty Vicious. And it's and it's it's all. Within the last six months, this album came out.
0: Well, we put a Spotify playlist together to accompany this podcast, so um, I'll make sure there's some tracks by them on there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I uh, I think it's called. I play
0: quite a lot anyway. It's great. Did you Did you ever see um, a Welsh band um, called Terrace play live? What they called Terrace T E R R I S Terrace. They were managed by the guy from Sixty Foot Dolls. I remember that. Oh,
1: I, I remember the Sixty Foot Dolls. They were great. They yeah. were like, they would have been one of my other choices. The song called Stay Stay. Ah, oh, stay, watching. Great song. Um and I thought they were really unlucky. They kind of just missed as well. I mean, they got signed and they did all right, but mm. you know, the stereophonics kind of became massive. You know, justifiably, I think Kelly's got a great voice, you know, and they were some brilliant. I mean, the early stuff of them, like a local boy in the photograph, what a song that is. Um, But yeah, the Sixty Petals—they were a great band as well. Was it Richard in them? Richard is yeah. uh, So Richard—he's a lecturer now, I believe, on in in music at the University of Bath, I think, because he's on my Mm. Facebook page, Richard Parfit. But he was a—I say old mod because I can say that because I'm an old mod. But he was—he was a lad who was a a well a fanatic as a young man as well. And I bumped into quite a few times because I was in a band myself, and I got to know them all quite well. And everybody knew each other really because Wales, you know, small is it is. A village, you know, and, and there's the cliche that we know each other, we're all related, and uh, we gonna help ourselves. Where you know somebody will say to you, "Oh, do you know so and so and so?" Funny, I don't know everybody. And they go, you know, "Dave Jones and Ponte." Oh yeah, I know David. So he's not help us. <laughs> but he, um, I didn't know Richard. I, I thought the sixty dollars were terrific, but no, I don't know. I, I, I
0: can. I'm thinking about. I viewed them near him. I think. What kind of they got they, they were like, it was, it was like we was playing with them uh, and. And I'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong, don't hate me for it. Club Ivorbach? Yes. Club Club that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we was, we were supporting them. Um and and there was this big sort of furore about this this new band. And uh and, and I remember seeing them and just thinking, right, well that's that's me done in music. This 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 is so exciting. And they they didn't have a bass player, they had a little guy on like a little three oh three, and the front man was a bit Ian Curtis like, but it was but, but they ended up getting signed and they got on the they were cover of NME is that the most exciting new band out yeah. of like the UK. And, 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 and then it just seemed to just fold for them. I don't know what happened and it was not many people remember them, but I remember just seeing them and thinking still to this day, one of the greatest live things I've ever witnessed and enough to the point where it made me just think, oh, I'm done with bands. I can't get anywhere near that. Yeah. Like, um, yeah I, I think the thing with me was I, I kind of was in a
1: band and, you know, we did all right we, we you know we, we were signed and we were playing up in London. We had some big supports, we got this, what in excess, and we played with like stereophonics and cooler shaker but i was I got to about twenty four twenty five and then I was offered a part in a drama, which was nine months and decent money and i I had a bit of a thing where I thought to myself, God, not only you basically you, you form a band and you go right we 're going to get signed, and it's really hard to get signed I mean really hard. And then you do it, you think, right, I've done it. And they go, no, 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 Now it starts. Now you've got to make it big. And when you make it big, you've got to stay there. And I'm thinking, fuck it, now. There's only yeah. like there's only a handful of bands that, that do that. You know what I mean? And I just thought, I've got another option here of earning money and you yeah. know, staying involved in the arts. And, and that's why to this day, you will never hear me bad mouth in any band or artist because i always think well you know what you're on your own journey to get there and you've done all right you know what i mean you've done all right to do what you
0: do totally doing. and and more so now i mean like you know when we was doing like my band and stuff in the 90s there was you know little pockets of money about if you yeah. if you sold records but you know and and the, a lot of the labels back then would give you an option on a, you know, your second album. If you don't sell records now, you ain't ever getting that second album. And it's like, that's what I think is missing. I do think that, that uh, there's, there's certain labels that do do that. Obviously, some of the, sort of the better indies do that. But, you know, the major labels, you get that elusive record deal and you think you're home and dry. And then if your first record don't shift X amount of numbers, they're not going to reinvest in you to get that second album out of you. And and i and i think that's a real shame. That, it's, that,
1: it's a massive shame because it was so important to um to british culture in the late 20th century you know uh, the, it was it made a lot of money for the for for the government for a start but also it was quite kind of central to our identity we always felt didn't we in britain you know, especially after the 60s that our bands were kind of like were you know was a sign of quality if we were a british band you know some of the best funny. bands in the world and it's a shame that's not you know i mean people would say that they are still massive british bands that do well across the world and absolutely but i think the last band you could probably say that came through where there was a, a huge buzz around was probably the arctic monkeys i'd say you know where there was a young band that were going wow about um i don't really think there's been anybody since then that had that kind of effect and that's a shame really john that's I, what's that now that must be about 10 15 years ago now isn't it and uh it used to be sort of five five year cycles things would yeah. happen, but that's that is definitely extending now, and I, I'm, I'm, I like, I love dance music, I love dancing, but I am, I was much more into bands and going to live gigs because I just like lyrics, I liked yeah. songs that spoke to me, you know, I liked luring things that reminded me of my life and spoke to me about my life. Do you know what I mean as in yeah. the work of Morrissey? But uh, yeah. it, that's why I was much more of a band person than, than a than a rave person. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I went to. to, to on to dance nights and I, and I did, but I was I was always much more. I uh, like bands. Do you know what I mean it's, and yeah. it? And seems to be something that's I, I shouldn't say dying out because festivals are still huge, aren't they? That's the thing. Yeah. But um it, there's a different way. I mean, I think from what I understand, live venues are, are,
0: are
1: contracting, aren't they? There's not as many as there once was.
0: It's so difficult. I, I run a live venue, Johnny, and, mm. and 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 I have done for you know I've been there for thirty years, and and it's. It's it's just seeing it change, whereas that yeah the, the, they they're dropping like flies and it's and it's and it's a shame and, and I just hope and pray that what's left is going to come out of this intact. Yeah, I just
1: uh, yeah. It, it is, uh, G, are you getting any help from the government? Will you get any help for
0: the? Hopefully we will, but um, as it stands at the moment, no. Like, so it's been uh, it's been quite strange, but um, but yeah, fingers crossed, mate. You know, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. You know, it, it would appear that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. So let's hope it it's slow and steady, and we get out of this, and uh, and we can open our doors when everyone's safe I, to come in. You know, I, right. I hope so. Last track, Johnny. Yeah, it's going to be DJ again. a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear.
1: There's a band that in a parallel universe for me should be huge, but they didn't. But um, they were called Five Thirty and they were banned from um, Oxford, and I absolutely loved them. I was a, I was a fanatic. Um, and They uh,
0: played my venue twice. <laughs> Did
1: they? Yeah. I, I went to see them live. I thought they were absolutely amazing. It blew me away. They were a bit one of those bands where I thought afterwards, I might, I might as well pack this in, because they just had everything. They looked fantastic. They could play. They were powerful. They were 3 piece songs, and for some weird reason, it just didn't catch fire for them, but... I have so many conversations with people every so often i I go, I was writing in a band called 5.30, and people go, yes, I love 5.30. I'm thinking of getting a T-shirt or something so I can wear it around and people will go, yeah. <laughs> like a secret club or something. But um, I met Paul Bassett after who was the guitar player. It was lovely. He was in a band later called Orange Deluxe, who did, 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 did okay as well. Um, and Tara Milton, who was the bass player, he's on my Facebook. I think he was in the New Biles after. But the 5.30 were just an amazing. But they re-released all their stuff, um, like, remixed and everything. And sort of, like, I think somebody did a job of, like, sort of making it, you know, where they sort of say, seen special stereo or whatever now. You know, like, sure. they're getting stuff out. But um, there's a song. The album is called Bed. It's a great album. Um, uh, they had a few singles off there. And there's a song that opens it up called um, Supernova so I'd recommend that's called. It's on YouTube as well. Uh, there's a few songs of theirs on YouTube. 13th Disciple is amazing. You. Um, but I'll go with Supernova, just because it sounds like it sounds like um, West Coast British psychedelia out of Oxford and Reading in the mid-'90s. You know what I mean? It's, just got, it's got everything you can imagine a band should be at that time. It's just yeah. beautiful. And uh, loads of energy, great guitar playing. And it's a tune. It's a real tune, and they look great as well. And I know they were signed to East West, and they got a deal, and they had proper management and all the rest of it. But I, from what I understand, the the lads in the band, you know, fell out, and therefore, yeah. um, you know, didn't have the career they should have should have had. But I would recommend anybody that likes music should try and get into Five Thirty. They're terrific.
0: Oh, I never thought anyone had mentioned Five Thirty on here. What a joy! <laughs> Love it. all right um well before we wrap things up johnny when we come out of this um lockdown situation that we're in properly and everyone goes back to work what's what's coming up for you mate
1: well i got a film coming out again in um end of this year it was meant to come out in spring but obviously with everything that happened it's coming out uh what they call q4 in cinema world so you have like four parts of the year so now i'm in autumn 2020 and it's called the three kings and it's a story about three very famous Scottish managers, uh, Bill Shankly, Jock Steen and Matt Busby, who were all lifelong friends and kind of founded these dynasties in Manchester United, Liverpool and Celtic. So it's their story um, and what they did and what they achieved and kind of like almost how they invented modern British football in a way. Uh, the great, you know, legendary Scottish manager. So that comes out um, in the autumn. Uh, I got obviously the show on TalkSport, Johnny Owen and Friends, which has started brilliantly. I've got Paul Weller on this weekend, so I'm quite pleased about that. Um, I got to know Paul a little bit now, which is amazing, really. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that as well. And obviously, I'm, I do some stuff for uh, Nottingham Forest these days. I look after their uh, commercial side and media and communications and stuff. So it's great. You know, I'm, I'm busy. I'm very lucky because obviously I understand the moment that, uh, you know, it's difficult for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, the arts are – I've said this quite a lot in interviews – you know, these last three months and when people often in life will talk about the arts and oh, why are we spending money on that and how important are the arts. Not many people will you know, look to maths equations or the periodic table this last three months, did they? You know, they listened to music, they read books and they watched films. That's how important the arts are. You know, when it was when everybody needed something to pick me up, pick themselves up, they look to the arts. So that's why it's really important you look after music venues and you look after theaters and you look after bands and you look after all these things you know they're not superfluous that's nonsense they're actually really really important they're integral to our existence as human beings so i'm hoping that um it all comes roaring back to life soon
0: i can't add anything to that mate perfect <laughs> johnny thank you so much for your time today mate it's been a real pleasure it's been a pleasure too. thanks very much for having me take care thank man. you there you go Johnny Owen what a top fella uh, really really nice chat um yeah can't say enough enough good things about him you know great tasting music and uh, and it was really nice of him to to give up uh, some time to to have a natter with me about uh, some of the records that have been important in his life. Um, I'm back next week. Um, thanks loads to you lot for listening and supporting this podcast. It means a lot. Um, like I said at the beginning, if you want some more, then go and have a rummage in the archives. See if there's any episodes that you've missed, or if you're like, you're new to this, then, then go and explore the podcast. Um, other than that, there's loads of other stuff on Patreon. If you go over there now, you'll have access to over probably another hundred shows um, that are unique to Patreons over there as well. Everything you need to know off the beaten track I'm back next week. Stay safe. See you soon. Bye bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and ACast, and it's a one stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts. You maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just... Turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well pop it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with it.
2: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well